Like I know I was in churches where they're like, "Oh, if you're sick, don't say you're sick." Like, or you poor, don't say you poor. Like you're always supposed to be speaking these affirming things, but like I find myself now like questioning that, saying, "Well, I am sick, but it's, I mean, what's the right way to?" The right way, like I said, is to be honest. Like I said, let the rich say I am poor. Let the poor say I am strong. I'm rich because of what the Lord has done. And I accept that. I believe that. But it's because of what the Lord has done. So if the Lord ain't did nothing, you you go to him. So the, the wrestle is not within myself. The wrestle is between me and God. So when I'm dealing with God, I be open with him. And I be honest with him. Because... If I'm whole, I don't need a physician. So if I'm telling myself I ain't sick, I don't need for him to heal me. But if I'm crying out to him because I am sick, he got to hear my cry. And it goes with everything. So that's one way where we took a scripture and distorted it and created a tradition. But that still goes with that line. How we get there is through the idea of this, this, this faith movement and the power of faith. And that the only way to get stuff done in this world is by believing it strong enough. And so that's one of the tricks and the tips of that. And even that goes bleeding until people tell you you don't pray about the same thing twice. And some people say that. If you prayed it, then you undo it if you pray about it again. But Jesus in Luke 18 was talking about the woman who came to the unjust judge. And he said she kept praying. And he said, when the Son of Man returns, shall he find faith on earth? So in Luke 18, he called her keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. He called that faith. But the preacher telling me, asking one time, is it going on and acting like it happened? It's already done. That's faith. So who we believe? The preacher or the prince of peace? The sermon or the savior? We believe Jesus. So if you feel it in your heart that something ain't right and I need to get right, you keep going to him and you keep going to him until it's reality. Then when it's reality, the sick can say, I am strong. The poor can say I am rich because I am, because of what he's done. Yeah. Going back to something you said earlier, um, and how oftentimes we had a tendency to like cut off the Old Testament from our, our lives in Christ. What then is the, the separation between what the Bible talks about as old covenant and new covenant for, for us? And I said, it's good to, you know, pray by the grace of God, we're going to walk all the way through it. But the basis of the reality of it is in the original Old Covenant, there was a couple limitations. One, to be a part of the Old Covenant, you had to become a part of the house of Israel in the sense of you had to cut off your foreskin. You had to take their national identity. All of that was a part of the Old Covenant. And the other part of the Old Covenant was that it was an external law that needed an intermediary <clears throat> in order for us to access God. So it was a law outside of us, and we needed an intermediary. We had to go through a priest, had to go through the prophet, and we needed all these sacrifices to have access to God. That was the basis of the old covenant. But in the new covenant, the way is open now. So our, our, our ability to access God is free. And we can go without a mediator. We can go without fear. We can go in boldness. And we have been engrafted into the national Israel through our adoption in Christ. So that we don't have to become a part of some nation or, or some ethnic group, however you want to say it, to gain access to Christ. So it opens the 
door up to everybody. And the other part is, under the old covenant, the Spirit of God moved and operated on certain people for a certain time and certain special tasks. So everybody didn't have access to the Spirit of God. But under the new covenant, we have all been filled with the Spirit of God. And we fulfill Moses' desire when he said, I would that all men were as I am. So we all get the access to that. And so the new way is opening and that law is no longer external, it's internal. He has described it upon our heart and our communion with God is not via mediator, but it's directly. We can talk to God directly. That's the basis of the separation between the old and the new. One more question. Go ahead. So you talked about, you know, there's a passage that talks about how the laws, laws are made for the lawless. Mm-hmm. And then there's another passage you went to today talking about how there's no, there's no law contrary to the spirit of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so to the one extreme, one could say, well, I'm just going to commune with, with Holy Spirit. And there's no, there's no usefulness for me to even study the scriptures because whatever he speaks to me in my heart, because his law is written on my heart and I'm going to get that out. So then what usefulness is there now to be a student of the word of God? Very good. Beautiful. beautiful. We got two. One we talked about last week. That's Second Corinthians chapter 3 when it talks about we will behold God talking about through his words and through the new ministry. We see him as in a glass face to face. And James shows us that that glass is the word of God. So we behold him face to face, and through beholding him through his word, we're transformed into that same image from glory to glory. And in Ephesians, it talks about that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. So the thing that the spirit of God uses is the word of God in me. So the more of the word I have access to, the greater the spirit's power within me, because there's no distinction or separation between God and his word. You get what I'm saying? So the thing that the word uses, I mean, the thing that the spirit uses is the word itself. So the more of that I have access to, the greater communion, the greater connection that I have through God. So there's no disconnect or, or disharmony between God and his word, the spirit of God and the word of God, because they all work in unison. And the same promises that are attached to the word of God is attached to God himself. In Hebrews chapter four, it talks about the word of God being quick, powerful, <clears throat> sharper than any two-edged sword, and is able to judge between the thoughts and discerners of heart. And it said, we shall all appear before him. And it shows that switch. It goes from talking about the word of God to talking about God. But it's in one flow thought because in the mind of the Hebrew, there is no difference. So God and his word are one and the same. So if I diss the word of God, I'm dissing God himself. That's what Jesus was talking about. If you reject me, you reject the words that I'm saying. So the rejection of God's words or the, or the dissing of his word is the dissing of God himself. Because that's the way God lives and operates through us. Makes sense to you? Because his words is spirit and there are life. But he said he is life and the Holy Spirit is the spirit. But Paul tells us that his word is spirit and his word is life. Because they're one and the same. So the same things, the attributes that are attributed to God is attributed to his word. That he's the one that changes us. He's the one that converts us. He's the one that gives us new life, regenerates us. But Psalm 19 tells us that we... His, our souls are converted through the law of God, through the word of God. So the same things that are attributed to God's words is attributed to God because they work one and the same. There is no distinction. When I think about like oppressed people, like in places that don't have businesses access, um, when I think about my mom's conversion, like not having read the Bible, 
war, like, is there a conflict? Like, do you need the physical Bible to find God? You know what I mean? Like, when when I think about our ancestors who were preached a gospel that was not, they were, the Bible was used to teach a lie. Mm-hmm. But they connected with a spiritual truth that kind of, I don't know, maybe uh, brought real life to what they had been given knowledge of? or <clears throat> The most... Uh, the best example, biblically, that I can think about about this is Saul, Paul, whichever name you want to use. When he was on his pursuit and he was on his journey, God impacted him in a supernatural way. Right? He saw God directly. God knocked him down and all that stuff blinded him. But what God did was, after he converted him, do I think Paul was changed then? Yes, he, I think he was radically transformed through that encounter. But he sent them to Anna to be taught. Then you read in Galatians, Paul said he left from there and he went out into the desert in Arabia and he sought God. Then he came back. So in that, as God begins to open up people, I, I read stories of people being supernaturally revealed. But even in all those things, they begin to seek and, and search for God. And God began to reveal himself to them are to connect them with people who can teach them and, and show them along the way. So can I say that you cannot be saved unless you have a Bible? I can't say that. I heard people being saved through dreams, people being saved, all type of miraculous and crazy ways. But all those people, after that, their hunger and their desire for the word increased and they pursued and went after God to want to know his word. I heard one guy, I think he was in Tibet or somewhere like that, and he never really heard of Jesus or the Bible. But the fact that there was a God other than what he was brought up truly gripped him. And he prayed and he searched. And he talked about how God illuminated himself to him. And it just so happened to be a journey, man. Talk coming by and told him that there was a dude in the mountain somewhere who had this book that talked about the true God of heaven and earth. And he said he went on a journey throughout the mountains to find this book. And once he got there, all this dude had was the Gospel of John. And this man said he read it, he studied it, and he memorized the entire book of John and went back to his village to begin to preach and convert, radically convert his whole village. All he had was the Gospel of John. But that the point is that miraculous longing that he had drove him to seek for more of God. And God put him in a position that he got access to the Word of God, and that's what he used to impact and change the village. So is it possible? Yes, it's possible for us just to get saved and have an encounter with God. But once that happens, God's going to connect you with a family and he's going to place in, within you a desire to know more of him. And we get that more through his word. Um. So I had another like perspective when you uh, answered her question, the first question that you had. I'm not exactly sure of what it was, but I know it was talking about like... um. Could you reiterate what you said, the first question that you asked? <laughs> I forgot. Not the word about the ancestors. Um, it was basically kind of like, how do you? Oh, recognize. Yeah. 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 Okay. So. I agree with what you're saying, but then I think that 
you should speak those things as though you as though they are and whenever you i know this as of having a personal experience with this whenever i seek god and am i'm sick or whatever is going through my mind at that point in time i continue to pray continue to pray continue to pray but if i already have something on my mind I ain't, God is like, okay, yeah, I'm going to help you, but you're not really going to hear what I'm saying because I already have something in the back of my mind. So there's no point in praying for it if I already know what I want. So like, I, I understand what you're saying, but I guess I just kind of saw it as a different perspective. Like, do you think that's wrong or do you? It depends on what you mean. We have to sit down and let you flesh it all the way out mm-hmm. because the openness and the honesty with God is the thing that he desires most. And so you cut yourself off from the fullness of what God, and you sort of hint it towards it when you already have settled in yourself what the reality is. And when it comes to speaking those things that be not as though they were, that's a distortion of a, of a verse. Because that's Romans chapter 4. It said God speak those things that be not as though they were. So, and we have faith in his reality. So there's a sense in which God can say something about me that I don't truly see, but I can have that settled in my heart. You get what I'm saying? And if that's what you mean, I completely agree. So it's like Gideon. When God showed up for Gideon, he, when the angel, God sent the angel, the angel revealed himself to him and said, you mighty man of valor. But Gideon was hiding and trying to hurry up and get his lunch out of the way before the big boys came and took it. That didn't seem quite mad, mighty. Show didn't seem like a man of valor. Because he knew them folks were coming and they were going to take his food. So he was hurrying up, trying to hide and put his food away. But when the angels spoke up, he referred to him as a mighty man of valor. But as you see, read the story going on, Gideon struggled with that. And he went back and forth. But by the time when he got to the place where he settled and believed that God truly called him, he acted courageously and he acted with might and he acted with valor. So the openness and the honesty of God, I mean, the honesty of Gideon didn't cut him off from the reality of what God has spoken. But that openness and that honesty, honesty allowed God to work with him where he was to bring him to the place where he needed to be. You get what I'm saying? So as long as you have it settled in your mind of what reality is, you shut yourself off from God truly working. That's like Balaam. Balaam went and prayed to God about whether or not he should go with the king of Balak or not. He wanted it to go. So when God spoke to him, what did he do? He went back and prayed again. And he he kept praying until God said what? Go ahead. I remember you talking about that story. well, you referred to the story a couple of Sundays ago when I was here. And I actually, I was like reading through and I was like, okay, yeah, he liked me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I have one, but go ahead. Go. Okay. Um, I know you mentioned the homeless uh, lady uh, wasn't referred to the Bible or anything, but you just like use it as an example. Now, I've had an experience to where I've seen several homeless people I'll have their sign out and everything. 
And I used to just, you know, give money, you know, this come from God or whatever. But I remember one time I saw this one homeless man and he was standing, had his sign and everything, like his clothes were dirty and everything. And so he's receiving money from these people and everything. And then I look over and he's walking back to his escalator. And it was just like, wow, like I can't, I literally would have to hear the word of God or the voice of God to be like, okay, you need to give something to this man or this woman. So what do you, like, what do you think about that? Because I know you. Uh, And those type of people I was making reference to. But in those situations, God, one, tells us to give to those who ask of thee. And he tells us to make righteous judgments in John chapter 7. So you reach into a dangerous place when you cast judgment on a person without truly knowing. Now, if you have the conviction, you can develop, develop convictions. And God tell you, don't give unless you de- desire in your heart. And whatever you desire in your heart, that's what you give. But it's dangerous when you cast the judgment of one man on all men. You get what I'm saying? So because this one dude's a crook, that don't mean everybody that's homeless or everybody that's on the side of the street with a sign is a crook. Now, if you go to the sensitivity where you're like, God, I need you to give me a word before I can give. If you're truly open and you truly relate to God like that, I can't tell you you're wrong. But if you purely based off this one person refused to give to all, now you're in a dangerous situation because you're judging people without truly knowing. Now, if you know this person's a crook, like I know that lady with that light bill sign, she ain't doing nothing stealing. So I ain't getting her no more money. But if I see somebody else, unless I know, I can't say that they're wrong. Now, if I have a conviction where I don't just give money to people on the street, I buy you something to eat, so on and so, I can't call you wrong for living with your conviction, whatever God placed in your heart in that. But you don't cast the judgment of one man on everybody. Because ultimately, if you're doing something out of obedience and love for people and obedience to God, that don't change your reality. So if I'm, yeah, so if I'm loving you, whether or not your intentions is to take advantage of me or not, that's between you and God. Because I'm doing what I do, not because of you, it's because of me and my relationship with God and who I am. So if you're saying, I'm just going to use them, well, no, you're not really, because I'm doing what I want to do. I want to help you. Now, your intentions, God going to deal with that and God going to judge that. Now, if I know and I don't give money to rich people, that's a whole nother thing. But if I don't know and I have the opportunity, I do good and share with those who are in need. Now, if I know you ain't in need, I ain't finna share. You get what I'm saying? But you reach dangerous grounds when you begin to cast the judgment based off one man or one experience on everybody. That's how we get where we are right now. I wanted to know, I know you said something about the Old Testament laws, mm-hmm. and I wanted to know, because I've been reading Galatians 5 since Monday, how does what you said about the Old Testament laws tie into Galatians 5, you know, the first couple of verses when mm-hmm. it talks about um, um, not being saved through the law, but through faith? Because if you follow his law and the thought, really you got to pick up like in chapter 2 or 3 when he begins to compare it between the law and grace and faith, and we're not saved by the law, but the spirit is the one that changes. And what he's saying is, is that through external obedience to the law, that's ain't where salvation comes. 
So I'm not a child of God because I got circumcised. I'm not a child of God because I pay tithes. All that stuff don't got nothing to do with my relationship with God. But it's faith in the work of God that saves me. But then when he continues to go on, he talks about the spirit. And what he says is, against such, against life in the spirit, there is no law. Then he begins to list the fruits of the spirit. And so <clears throat> the, the thought is, through faith in God, I fulfill the law because the one who wrote the law lives it out through me. You get what I'm saying? So that's not what saved me. I'll follow the spirit. And by following the spirit, I do the law. And it's not vice versa. So I don't get in God because I follow the law. I get in God and that what fulfills the law in me. So now all the stuff that the law told me I need to do, I do because the spirit lives in me. It makes sense to you. So that's why he wraps it the way he wraps it. But you got to follow the flow of thought all the way from chapter three. And that's why he moves into the spirit and makes the contrast between the flesh and the spirit. Because we refer to the flesh as the same thing as following the law. So it's you through your own power, externally, apart from God, trying to reach a standard where God is pleased with you. He's saying you ain't going to ever do that. And that don't bring salvation. But if you, through faith in the spirit, allow God to change you and let his fruit be produced in you, you're going to do what God wants you to do. But the thing that saves me is that faith through the spirit, not the following of the law. Make that answer your question. What's your other question? I guess back to the affirmations thing again. I just want you to wanted you to elaborate on it more. You said we have the power to make reality change by what we think, feel, and believe is foolishness. But if God knows our thoughts and He knows the very essence of who we are, mm-hmm. and affir- aff- I don't, I don't, I can't. In my mind, I don't look at it as me being dishonest because God already knows. Like if I'm weak. God knows that I'm weak. So me affirming, in my mind, I just look at it as I'm speaking contrary to how I feel so that it can get from my head to my heart and my Mm -hmm. heart will begin to manifest the strength of God Mm -hmm. by me affirming. And I know you were saying like that's kind of crazy. So I just wanted you to elaborate on that more. The basic idea is this, and this is a deep one, and and I pick at it for a whole lot of reasons is that once we disconnect faith from God to the power of positive thinking or the power of affirmative statements, then what you end up with is some of this neo-spiritual stuff that is anti-God. So the only way that affirmative statements work is if I'm affirming what God has created and what he has done as reality. You get what I'm saying? So it's the way that you wrap it and the way that you do it. Now, if I'm in a position where I'm feeling bad, I'm feeling down, and I say that the joy of the Lord is in me. The joy of the Lord is my strength. His joy will never leave me or forsake me. I'm not denying the reality of what I'm feeling. I'm affirming the reality of what God has said because that's what he told me. You get what I'm saying? But if I go to the point where I say, I'm feeling bad, well, I don't feel bad. Well, now I'm lying. Because you do. You get what I'm saying? And it, and it's that fine line, but the, the true danger that I always caution against is when we begin to separate faith in God from God. And it's this idea that my believing has some type of power. 
And there's something in me believing. The only power is God. So basically you're saying that, you're not saying that affirmations are wrong, but you're saying that um, you, we cannot do anything apart from God. So basically affirming something that you don't believe that God has already manifested is void. Is that what you're saying? Say affirming something that is not reality or that it does not flow from God in his word, that's foolishness. So when I'm saying something, like I said, if I'm feeling bad and I'm talking about the joy of the Lord is my strength, I got the joy of the Lord down, down in my soul. I'm telling the truth because God told me that. That's what he said. I would, my joy will love it. Joy I give you, the world ain't give it. The world can't take it away. That's reality. So no matter how I feel, I got that joy. And if I ignore my feelings and saying I got the joy of the Lord, I do. But if I just go and say, well, you don't feel bad. You are a good feeling person. No, I'm lying. <laughs> so I know um, a lot. I'm sorry. Go I ahead. You, I'm sorry. I know a lot of people, they do like the law of attraction thing. Uh-huh. And when I do my affirmations, I don't personally do it that way. I do it based on what you said, the foundation of faith. So if I'm poor or if I don't, if I don't have enough money for the week or whatever, I'm not doing an affirmation based on the law of attraction. I'm doing an affirmation based on my father has cattle on a thousand hills and every need that I have is met. Mm-hmm. So that's basically just what you said. Yeah. Um, affirmation should be based on a, a faith foundation in God. Yeah, but it's not, my danger is it's not purely the faith foundation because just believing something does not create reality, but it's a God foundation. And I and and what I hold to is what he has declared. So if I'm going through and I don't got enough money for the week, like you say, I got full confidence that I ain't going to lack. I ain't going to go hungry. I'm not going to suffer because he said he shall provide all my needs according to his riches and glory. So whether or not I got money in my pocket or not don't mean anything. But I don't go around and say, Wallet, you have money in it because you are blessed of the Lord. Everybody know, Bible don't tell that. I can go and say, man, I ain't got a dime in there, but baby, we're going to eat today. <laughs> Why are we going to eat? Because God's going to give us something to eat. He said he wants something righteous to be forsaken. Nor the righteous bearing, nor the seed begging bread. So we ain't going to be no beggars out there. And when we ain't got nothing, we still going to be content and satisfied because that's what he gave me. That's what he promised. See, but the danger is, and this is why I stake my claim, and I'm, and I'm gung-ho about this, is that we live in a culture where there's a merging of new age thought and Christianity and the lines are being blurred. And that's one of the places where the distortion of the gospel has begun is through the connecting with this power of faith stuff, this positive affirmations are the power of intentions and all this stuff. This is new age thought that's being crept into the church which is robbing the people of the reality of who God is and it's robbed God of the God of his glory because I can get stuff that I ain't supposed to have apart from God just through this formula. God ain't no formula type of God. He's a real person and I need to deal with him like a real person. I just say, I don't got no formula with my mama. I ain't no certain magic stuff I can say that make my mama do certain type of stuff. No, I deal with her as a person. If she want to give, she going to give. If she ain't, she ain't. And it's because of who she is and how she relates to me. And that's how I relate to her. I don't go and show up and say, if I say this is the exact way, I don't see my kid. Now you ask grandma for this. You make sure you say it exactly like this. 
Because if you mess up, she's going to say no. Like, no, that ain't how you relate to people. You get what I'm saying? And so that's the danger and that's the caution that I warn people about. Because one compromise leads to another, then you end up in something that ain't Jesus. So, But the thing that we affirm is the word of God. It's the truth of God. The reality of who God is. We walk, we walk by faith and not by sight. But that faith is in God and his word, not in, not in faith. Um, I just want to add a little bit more meat to this stuff. Is is kind of the thought I have. I I got this one pet peeve phrase that I hear in church a lot, and people talk about the power in prayer. Most people don't think nothing of that. It's like it's power in prayer. If you want stuff, you gotta pray. It's power in prayer. There's actually no power in prayer. The power is in God. And what we do, like Zinc talked about, we're looking for formulas to get things and formulas to make ourselves better and feel certain ways. When our only goal, our single thought, our single focus in life should be God. Our relationship is with God and pressing into God and all that he is. Now, when we press into God and all that he is, we get all that he has. And we're trying to somehow get all daddy's toys and take God out of the living room. Now, he's still on the throne. He's still sitting in the chair. And what we want to do is jump up in daddy's lap. And get him, because once we got him, we understand down the line. I guarantee Victoria can jump up in Justin's lap and get whatever she want. Already know. But what but what we do with these thoughts, and I understand that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he and all this stuff. But we take these 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 scriptures and we bring them out of context. And what we start doing is working on our mind instead of working on our relationship with daddy. We start working on how to get rich rather than how to get to my daddy and be a part of the family business. We start working on how to feel better rather than understanding that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And if I get in the spirit and be filled with the spirit that he calls me to do and that he said dwells on the inside of me, I'll get the freedom and all the depression will lift because the joy of the Lord is my strength. But I want to get joy and the strength and take the Lord out. But it's not pressing to God. And you get all that other stuff, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So what we're doing is taking that piece out that we're supposed to be doing first and not just that's not number one. The first thing that I do, but first is it's in preeminence. It's the the most dominating thing. That is the most important thing I need to be doing is seeking God, because he says, you'll seek me and you'll find me. But you'll seek me when you you'll find me when you seek me with your whole heart. And we're not going after God with our whole heart when we're doing these certain affirmations and thoughts of faith. We turn faith into a God in and of itself. It's not how do I get God? It's how do I get faith? Because if I get faith, I can have all this stuff. But all faith means is trust. And you trust anybody more by building a relationship with that person. I trust Zinc. If I kick the bucket, he going to be the one to take care of my, my kids and he going to be the one going to look after my wife. Why? Because I've been hanging with this dude for a long time. We spend hours together every week. And through that relationship, I trust him. And the deeper the relationship gets, the more I can trust him. And it's the same thing with our father. The deeper we get him, the more we trust him. The more we trust him, the more we know him, the more faith we have in him. And then it's very easy thing to say, God, man, I'm feeling low. But since I trust you, lift me up because that's what you said you'll do. And then that boosts me up. I don't have to trick myself and be like, nope, nope, nope. You don't feel bad. You don't feel bad. You don't feel bad. Jesus said you joyous. Daddy, hook me up, man. I don't know what's going on this morning. I need a little boost or something. You want to give me some strength. 
And then his daddy be like, ah, I got you. And give you the joy of the Lord. Anyway. Can I just interject mm-hmm. one more time? And I'm sorry, I'm going to really let you go. Um, I know you were saying about the new age stuff and mm-hmm. these ideas trying to almost brainwash you. Mm-hmm. But I want to go back to what you said about how our ancestors were taught something that was not true. Mm-hmm. And when your mentality has been warped, I don't, I know about what you said about the new age, but from my position, I use affirmations to, I guess, counteract the warped things that I've been taught through the church and through different things. So not so much as to brainwash myself, but to set my affections as a constant reminder. Like this is me constantly reminding myself of the God reality. So I get I get what you're saying because people can people can take that and it's a fine line between brainwashing and affirmation, God affirmations. The Lord began to speak to me. I started seeing the similarities between that and witchcraft, essentially, um, making those things like the things like it, exactly what he said. So it, I saw the witchcraft happening, um, and I saw people losing their homes and losing because that those things began being tied to finances and all the other things that the people that pastors started teaching about in terms of getting people's things. Oh, believe, you know, give this and, and you'll magically like your bills gonna be paid by you giving me your thousand dollars that you saved up. So when the Lord started showing me the fullness of what was happening, what I was getting entangled to, I started seeing it as witchcraft. So it's different than like, me taking a word and and it's, I saw myself being disconnected emotionally from what was really going on with me like these things were going on on the surface and I had buried them with all these mantras essentially you know and so that was kind of and so I've been trying to untangle from that thought process of saying okay God like there's real things you have said real things you have put into practice on this earth for us you know, but seek ye first the, the kingdom and his righteousness, everything else added. So trying to make myself reconcile with the real truth and not just like these mantras that I've kind of been taught that this is what you do when you say you agitated and then eventually nothing happens. And that's the basis of the thought that God is the foundation of life. God is the foundation of reality. And we allow him to define it. And whatever helps us to press into him that's what we seek and pursue. We'll put our faith or hope in any other thing but God. Go ahead. You got one? I have questions from the girls. No. What does he mean by saying he will circumcise our heart that we will love him? Circumcise our heart. That's Deuteronomy chapter 8. I think it's verse 32. And what it, it's a picture of just like male circumcision. When you take away the foreskin to reveal what's underneath. And it's the promise. And through God in Ezekiel 36, that he going to take away the hardness of our heart. He'll take away the stoniness of our heart so that we can have a true heart that responds to him, a fleshly heart. So that's what he means when he say he's going to circumcise our heart. So everything that causes us to not love him, not like him, be like him, he's going to remove it away from us. What does God mean by keeping it high? Keeping it what? High. Oh. I said, keep God high, as in exalted above everything. Okay. Oh. Okay. It said it, so I don't know. Yeah. Okay. That's probably what you're talking about. 
about it, keeping the standards high in the sense of that we don't lower the standards of God just because certain situations of circumstances or times or traditions change. So when God set a standard, this is the rule, it stay there. How do you rob God? Just ask him. <laughs> when you take what belongs to God and use it for yourself or somebody else. It don't mean not paying tithes. Okay. That's it. Any other questions? All right. They all yours.